because then I won't be in trouble. There we go. All right, we're going to get back to 139. Can we remember those 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 words that we use for uh, 139 as far as what was written on the board? Do you remember the words that were written on the board? Omnipresent. Omnipresent. Omniscient. Omniscient. Omnipotent. Omnipotent. See, we got Bible scholars here. <laughs> okay, um, we talk about being a a uh, group that is going to study the Word of God and. The great thing about it is that I already have a group that studies the Word of God. Fantastic. Last time that we were together, we ended with verse 12 in 139. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover some of uh, the... the 13 to possibly 18 and then Bruce because we're team teaching today will take the rest of uh, 139 and and deal with it um, so let's let's do this real quick um, When I, when I study the Word of God, um, and I know it happens with you guys as well, uh, <laughs> I spend a lot of time meditating on what God has given to us. And um, when I came to this particular part of, the, of 139, um, as all of 139 did, but when I came to this part of 139, it, it just, it brought tears to my eyes. And why it brought tears to my eyes, it says, for you form my inward parts. Do we understand what's being said right there? You wove me, I gotta make sure I don't get too emotional here. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Can someone turn to Psalm, in the same book, 72, we went over it, 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19, and once you get it, just like last week, go ahead and read that. Give the king your judgment, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted with justice. Let the mountains bring peace to the people and the hills in righteousness. May, the, the, may he vindicate the afflicted of the people 
Save the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Let them fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon throughout all generations, you... Do I keep reading? Oh, yeah. stops there. Okay. Uh, it, you know what? It, it, that's the problem with my memory. Um, I, that's a verse that I want to use later. So if I can have someone turn to Deuteronomy... Um, 32 6 and also um, Job 10 11. Again, Deuteronomy 32 6 and Job 10 11. Job 10 11 is, Thou hast clothed me with the skin and flesh, and hast fenced me with thy bones okay God has clothed me with my skin and flesh Job 10:11 that was 10:11 oh excuse me <laughs> that's right <laughs> see I'm telling you I'm, I'm moving too fast today Deuteronomy 32:6 do you thus repay Yahweh for people who are wicked and foolish and without wisdom is he not your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. <clears throat> okay. He has made us and established us. You were woved. You wove me in my mother's womb. What is that saying to you guys? What did David say there that should give you a good idea of what and who God is. God created every single aspect of you. It wasn't this connecting with that and that connecting with it. God. It was all God. God made every every atom, every neuron, every cube of every piece of you. Okay. Everyone in this room is not a mistake. You are a man and woman because that's the way God created you. I told Bruce that I may go through a rabbit trail today and I'm going to quickly go through that rabbit trail. Because when God says, or when David says, you wove me in my mother's womb, he didn't say, you wove me in my mother's womb so I can make a choice of what I am going to be. You wove me in my mother's womb because I can decide whether I will be a woman or a man. <clears throat> that I can decide whether I'm binary, non-binary, whether I am... <laughs> I 
And I'll use this word because it's being used in our society. Whether I am genderqueer, or if I'm to the point to where when I give my pronoun, I can be whatever I want to be and who I ever want to be. Is that what the word of God says to you? It's difficult for me to watch our news many times. Because I'll see things. It was difficult for me this week to watch a video of a young lady going into a school and then deciding to kill children as well as adults. Very difficult for me. What was more difficult for me was to listen to people say that it's the transgender people that are being harmed here. It wasn't a nine-year-old child that was being harmed. It was a transgender. Confusion and lies in which we in our society today are having to deal with. This person that broke into that school identified as a transgender, as a male. Is there any question in the word of God that we have right here that says, you wove me in my mother's womb? Any questions about that? Not, a, not an ounce. <clears throat> David didn't put a question mark there. There's a period there. And it is important for us to understand. Because everyone in this room, as a follower of God, you're to teach that truth. There are people that will yell at you and scream at you and call you names. I have been called a racist. When I was growing up in the 60s and I was watching things happening to black men and women in the South, the one thing I didn't think I'd ever be called is a racist. And I've been called a racist. I've been called a homophobe. Does everyone know the definition of homophobe? Can someone give me a definition of homophobe? You're afraid of homosexuals, fear of homosexuals. I'm in fear of homosexuals. Interesting. Because at Boise State, I worked with quite a few of them. 
And I was in zero fear of homosexuals. What I was in fear of is God. And my job is to speak the truth. Just like everyone in this room's job is to speak the truth. I told you that I was going to get a little rabbit going here. Can someone turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13? Pastor used Leviticus this morning. So I figured I'd, although I had already written Leviticus down uh, in my mind, let's turn to Leviticus 2013. What does it say? Anyone? If a man also lie with mankind, and if he lie with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Did you guys all hear that? Now, I know I'm speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you're going to be witnessing to someone, you may have to use this verse. If a man lays down with what? Mankind. Man. It is a what? Did, did, did he say Abomination. Here's the other question. If you go through Leviticus, you'll see that it will talk about women. It will talk about men laying down with animals, women laying down with them. Listen, all of the things that we think is brand new to our society, <laughs> what does God's word say? There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. But they're trying to tell each and every one of us that we have to accept that. And it's not to the point to where we have to accept it, is that if you don't accept it, then you are going to be canceled. Hey, you know what? They've been trying to cancel the word of God since the beginning. <laughs> it hasn't happened. So when they talk about cancel culture, when a person says, well, you're going to be canceled, I don't worry about that. You can't cancel God. And if I'm teaching God's word, if you're teaching God's word, if you're speaking the truth of Christ, you cannot be canceled. Let's turn to Romans. And I know you guys knew I was going to go to, to Romans 1. If I can have someone, because this is going to be extensive reading, if I can have someone read um, verses 21 to 32. Romans 1, 21 to 32. For 
For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man and of animals and of four-footed um, oh, and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever all men for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which was unnatural and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of of the woman and uh, burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not fit to see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to the depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, and they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice, practice it. Craig? Watching a history show earlier, on the last verse, we were saying the pleasure of Nero was wildly popular among Have you have you done any studies on Nero? Nero? Okay. What did you find out about him? Well, if something bad you could do, he probably did it. Yeah. Yeah, Roman Empire, he basically had him slaughtered. Okay. What else? Self-declared God. Self-declared God. He set Christians on fire as torture. Okay. Not just a practicing homosexual, but also practicing child molesting. We think about what our society is saying that is acceptable, that should be acceptable today and again it's not something new under the sun but it is that perversion that they are saying 
we need to accept. We need to live by. And that's why it is so important that we stand firm in the word of God. That we know exactly who our God is. See, and, and go ahead. Not I... only that, we need to know Genesis because a lot of the errors that people assign to Genesis go into all this stuff. And uh, if you have Genesis right, you're going to have your philosophy in God and all these things correctly. A lot of us have to understand that there's a lot of men and women that believe the way they are believing, meaning that issue of uh, genderqueer, transsexuals, you name it. They call themselves Christians. They will state to you today that they are Christians. How can they reconcile these? You don't reconcile the verses. Yeah, you don't reconcile the verses. What you do is you go to a person that you trust, which may have the name pastor, and that pastor says, it's okay. This is where we are running into. We've got many people that call themselves pastor, Bruce and I was talking about a gentleman, uh, he calls himself Bishop T.D. Jakes, who will state, I know many homosexuals, and some homosexuals aren't the same as other homosexuals. Okay, so what did you just say? You didn't speak the word of God. Some are good homosexuals, some are bad homosexuals. Oh, okay, thanks, Pastor T.D. Jakes or Bishop T.D. Jakes. I have another person that has a mega church. I went past it while I was in Houston. And he just says, well, you know, I believe people just need to love one another. And as long as we love one another, Everything's just fine. You live your best life now. And can I have an amen to that? No, you can't. No, you can't. Okay? No, you can't. What does God's word say? God's word says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. He knew and knows everything about us. We wrote that, we read that earlier in our scripture. In 139. Whether you're sitting down, before your thought comes through your mind, he knows what you're thinking. But he knows that because he cares for us. 
He loves us. He wants us to go in the direction in which we are going to be praising him and giving him the glory for all that we are. But the problem here is that we have a society right now that says, no, I want God to be the type of God that I want him to be. So my God gives me the right to do things that is totally contradictory to what we read today. What you've read in the past. Our God does not lie. Did we understand this from this chapter already? He doesn't lie. He is the light. As David said, if I'm in an area of darkness, if he's there, it's light. I talked about Carlsbad Calvins, and when they cut those lights off, I couldn't see anything. But if he's there, it's light. Because God is light. I have to tell you something. Um, last night, I, I, uh, I got home from doing some work. And, and I sat down and I go, okay, it's time for me to relax. So I turned on a basketball game. It was San Diego State against uh, Florida Atlantic. And the game went off, and I go, hey, the Mountain West won, so that's a good thing. And I flipped the channel. And I turned to uh, the ABC station. And it was a movie that I hadn't seen in years. Okay, I'm telling you. This movie was a movie that I, I just was enamored with when I was young. And all of a sudden, it's on, and I go, wow, I, I haven't seen I'm going to sit here and watch this movie. Now, I don't know if anyone else was on ABC last night, but the movie was Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Okay? One of my favorite movies of all time. Now, Yes, if we go scripturally, there were some things that was not perfect. But here's what I was thinking. This was a movie that was made and it was trying to teach what happened in the days of Moses. It actually talked about God. It actually said, "Hey Pharaoh, if you think you're, if you got, you think you got the gods on your side, understand there's only one God, and this God is going to take care of business. And if we look in our Word of God, guess what? He took care of business. You know, I was watching it, and and the time where where." Charleston Heston puts his staff up and, and all of a sudden the Red Sea splits. I'm like, wow, this is terrible. 
I mean, when I was young, it was like, oh, wow, this is just amazing. And, and now, now that we've got better little motions, into, I go, oh, this is terrible. I mean, can't you see that this is all phony? And, but the storyline that Cecil B. DeMille's followed was on point. There was this group that came out of Egypt. And during this time, even after all that they saw in that first scene with Pharaoh and, and, and the locusts and the blood and, and then the death of the firstborn, even after that and going through the Red Sea, when they got on the other side, what did they do? Because Moses was gone for a short time. They made an image. Did we not talk about the images that, that in Scripture? Birds, insects, animals. So they made an image. And during that time of that image, then they went off. Immorally sinning. A picture of society right now. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're not abiding by the word of God, you go off. And everything seems to be okay. Until Moses shows up again. And now they've got an issue. But see, we don't need Moses anymore. Because who came for us to know the truth in every way? Was it Moses? Was it David? No, we had Jesus Christ come. As a matter of fact, like I told you guys last week, we're coming to the time in which what I consider the most important time for me as a Christian is that my Lord and Savior came on this earth. Yes, so they have that Christmas. But what's, what are we going to be celebrating next week? The resurrection of our Lord and Savior. That to me is simply amazing. I only say amazing because I don't have another big word to put on the table for you. Because he is alive. We think about all those, even David, that we are talking about today. David dead. Moses dead. But Jesus Christ, there's an empty tomb. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He knows us. Let me continue. And my soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unshaped substance. We can talk about that word abortion. And there are a lot of young people that will say, well, it's a, what? What do they usually say when? It's a fetus. It's a fetus. Okay. What does God's word say? person. He, he created that person. He made that From person. conception. Yep. So we can call it abortion and then we can feel good about it. It's just like I say to several couples that I've worked with in the past. You can call it <laughs> a, well they call it I call it adultery. But what do they call it? An affair. You can call it an affair. An affair sounds like, you know, that was just a fun thing to do. I just had an affair. But if we go by the word of God, it is adultery. As we go by the word of God, it's not abortion. It is murder I have said many times to those I've worked with stop lying to yourself stop using the words that makes it comfortable for you use the words that God has used you are in a position of murder now I'm not picking on anyone in this class But I am letting you know that we're to go as God has given us the word. That's what we're supposed to use. And in your book, all of them were written. The days that were formed for me when as yet... There was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And I've gone through that pretty quick because I want to make sure that Bruce has a chance to finish up. <clears throat> but I do want to Make sure that I get something in your hands. You saw this on the board. <clears throat> and I told you last week that the attributes of God that we have up here, it, it, it is not a situation where 
these men or any other men can actually put all of the attributes of God in one because if we were doing that there'd be pages and pages and pages okay so this is just a a summary of sorts of some of the attributes and I'm just going to go through this list Transcendence. God transcends all creation and is unknowable apart from his initiated revelation. Do we understand what that's saying? Eminence. God is active in the world and in our daily lives. God cares about every aspect of our existence and invites us to welcome his guidance, grace, and love. Aseity. God is self-existent, self-sufficient, and has no need of human beings or the rest of creation. That one I had to stop and say, okay, for those men and women who think they know everything and have control of God, what does that say to you? It says not. You have no control. You are not in a position of deciding whether God exists or not. As one man said many years ago, God is dead. Guess what? He's now dead, but God is still alive. God always will exist. Omnipresent. Since it's small reading, got to put the glasses on again. God has no size or shape and is present in all places with his entire being. So one thing about last night's movie, you know, God was on the mountainside. And so, you know, there was a spot that they could see. Oh, we can see God is on Mount Sinai. But the presence of the Lord is everywhere. Unity. God's whole being includes all of his attributes at all times. These attributes are never in opposition. You know, when, when Sodom was firebombed, Got a question for you. Was Jesus in alliance with God to have that happen? Was the Holy Spirit in alliance with God to have that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
you know what, I'm, I'm not gonna go through all this list because I gotta get through some time. You guys have this. If you have some questions for me, um, please, and this is after reading through this, anytime you have some questions over some of the things that are there, please don't hesitate to, to ask me about it. Or, what I'd like more for you to do, ask Bruce about it, because he knows everything. <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to end now so Bruce has some time to complete Psalm 139. I was just getting into what you were saying, Fred. I would, you could have kept on going. I was going to say one thing. We talked about this a little bit when we met uh, the other day. When you talk about, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and talking about that God knows everything about us, there's one thing that doesn't, doesn't say here, but it's very true as well. It's not that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. It's when you were also fearfully and wonderfully made. He put us in this day and this time. We weren't born in 1200 or 200 A.D. He put us here for now. And so as we, as we deal with this, the the culture pulling away from God at a rapidly a rapid pace and not pulling away from him because they never were with him but actively rebelling against God we have a message to send of what the Bible tells us and God put us here now for us to do that he could have had us born a totally different time but he didn't we're born now why? that's his choice but to go get back out of that rabbit hole, um, Fred said he goes down rabbit holes. I said, I do them all the time. So we're used to that. Just a couple comments on the first uh, portion, and, and Fred mentioned that as we started today. Psalm 139 is a great source in discussing the omniscience, the omnipresence, and the omnipotence of God. But one thing we need to understand is these three attributes or perfections, as Scott Vassello likes to say, are linked, and they all feed on each other. They interact with each other. If one was not true, the other true would not be true. They wouldn't be possible. Derek Kidner wrote that God not only sees the invisible and penetrates the inaccessible, but is operative there, the author of every detail of my being. God's the author of every detail of my being. And John Stott wrote that God's omniscience, omniscience has been attributed to his omnipresence and is now attributed to his omnipotence. God can search man out not only because he sees them, but because he made them. 
So these three attributes, I think, are, are it, it's good to sit there and just ponder them and understand them. Boyce wrote, if we do not understand that God is all-powerful, we do not have a right understanding of God at all. We are thinking of some other being. If God is not all-powerful, then there must be some power or powers greater than God. And there's some, some uh, uh, cults and isms that think that. I mean, they don't say that, but they, you know, God came from something else. Well, then there's a power greater than God. And then Boyce went on to say, if that's the case, God's power must be thwarted in his proper sovereignty restricted and what kind of God would that be a God who is restricted is not the God in the Bible so let's go to verse 17 I'm going to try to take off there and we'll try to go pretty quickly because Fred covered some of this how precious are to, how precious to me are your thoughts O God how vast is the sum of them if I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake. I am still with you. God knows all about us, even down to our thoughts. That's a little scary. But the fact that David is saying this, that he knows this, it brings comfort, not alarm. Spurgeon wrote this. He said he is not alarmed by the fact that God knows all about him. On the contrary, he is comforted. He even feels himself to be enriched. That God should think upon him is the believer's treasure and pleasure. I like that. That God should think upon him is the believer's treasure and pleasure. He thinks upon God's thoughts with delight. The more of them, the better he is pleased. It is a joy worth worlds that the Lord should think upon us who are so poor and needy. It is a joy which fills our whole nature to think upon God, how great is the sum of them. That's what Spurgeon said. Now the root of this word precious, it says how precious to me are your thoughts. The root word of that is weighty. And uh, it basically means that the singer, David in this case, would weigh God's thoughts toward him and finds that they weigh down his scales. They're valuable. They're, they, they, they've, got, they've got value. And in verse 18, David is showing how powerfully, or very powerfully, how, God, how often God thinks of us. More than the sand. That do we grasp that? I don't think so. We need to ponder the statements of verses 17 and 18 to realize how great, how truly great God is. These are not mere hyperbole, but they reflect the fact that God thinks on us in, infinitely. And as I typed that, I thought of how celebrities today are adored often to the point of absurdity imagine being somewhere where there is an extremely popular person and a person that you greatly adored from afar 
The person then approached you. Now, this is a person that you think the world of, whether whatever field you like and whatever, you know, that would be, because it would vary by, by individual. And that person then came to you and began speaking directly to you and showed a great interest in what you said. Would that mean anything to you? Yeah, it'd mean a lot. Would you keep it quiet? Or would you go home and share it with those you knew? Guess who I talked to today? And we had a great conversation. We talked about this and this and this. And he, he talked to me and he said he wanted to get back. I mean, it would just go on and on. Our God has spoken to us through his word, given us his spirit to dwell on us, and he thinks upon us more than the sand. We were at the beach last week. There's a lot of sand there. And then oftentimes, though, in our life, what do we do with God? We ignore him. We act, well, I'll go to church on Sunday. That's about it. We compartmentalize him. We do. We do. <coughs> But David says, how precious are to me your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. How precious are they. McLaren summed it this way. in David in verse 18. If I would count them, they are more than sand. I awake and I am still with you. He said, he awakes from sleep and is conscious of the glad wonder to find that like a tender mother by her slumbering child, God has been watching over him and all the blessed communion of past days abides as before. What a great promise that is. Then we go on to verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your aim in vain, or take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So starting in verse 19, we have this sudden change in focus. There's a shift from God watching over him to a prayer that God would deal with his enemies who have been in existence throughout history. God's enemies have been there since the fall. You know, Christianity today is hated as much as ever. We could talk for some time about the worldwide persecution of Christians that has taken place over the last 25 years. I went out and looked a little bit. In Syria, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, the Congo, North and South, South Sudan, Nigeria, North Korea, China, Myanmar, India, for example, hundreds, hundreds of thousands have been killed for their faith in the last 25 years. Probably in the millions. And these aren't the only places. Biblical Christianity has always had its enemies. And today, those enemies are becoming bolder and bolder. And many of them even claim to be Christian, as Fred pointed out. They claim to be Christian, but they're not. 
Now, David has been writing about the omniscience, the omnipresence, and the omnipotence of God, that he knows our thoughts and everything about us. This includes that God knows about the wicked as well as the believers. Spurgeon wrote this. He says, If the eye of God is grieved with the presence of evil, it is but natural that he will remove the offending object. God who sees all evil will slay all evil. Now we know that ultimately God will come to judge and put it into the evil that is in man, in Satan and angels as well, the fallen angels. <clears throat> we see that in Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15 of this final judgment. But this section right here, verse 19 to 22, is an imprecatory section of this psalm. Now, in imprecation, the author calls down calamity or destruction or God's honor or judgment on his enemies. You also might remember Revelation 6, 9 to 11 where we read, He opened the fifth seal, and I saw under the altar of souls those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given, each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were be to be killed as they themselves had been. But the reason David points out here for God to punish the wicked is not for the purpose of making his life easier. He goes on in verse 20, he says, Who speak against you with malicious intent, who take your name in vain, who hate you, O Lord. When we love somebody, we hate to hear something that is said cruelly about them, don't we? And at every turn today, we look and see the person and the name of God, the God we love, is being treated with contempt and blasphemy. Think of your wife or your husband or your child, someone dear to you. They were treated that way. It would incense you. And that's what we should be with God. I mean, God is being treated the God we love, the God who has saved us. We need to pray for those people, but we also want God to come down in judgment so he would be vindicated. Not so it makes us feel better, makes our life easier. Now immediately following this imprecatory portion of the psalm, then we get a, a, a different thought here. He pens a couple of well-known verses, very well-known verses. There was a song when we were growing up in church we used to sing all the time. Verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there, is, see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way 
of understanding, uh, uh, in the way everlasting. David, as he pins these verses, he shows his desire to be open to God's omniscience. And in doing so, this is a prayer that his thoughts will be honorable to God. Exactly the opposite of those who he just was talking about in verse 20 and 21. Those who speak against you with malicious intent, those who take your name in vain, and those who hate the Lord. I want to be the opposite of that. That's what he's saying. Now we are told in scripture, for example, in Matthew 5.44, to love our enemies. Romans 12, 14, 17, and 21 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, as we look at those people that are talked about in verse 20 and 21, you know, we are prone to the same sins that they are, who do evil that are mentioned there. We're prone to that. That's our natural state. It is God who has changed our heart. If he wouldn't have changed our heart, guess what? We'd be right with him. We did not change our heart by ourselves. We didn't wake up one day and say, well, I'm going to change my heart. God changed it. With that in mind, we read verses 23 and 24 that God will help us with our thoughts and our actions that will prevent us from being like those who have rejected him as their Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, last week, Fred, I'm assuming he did, I wasn't here, but he probably talked about verse 1. O Lord, you have searched and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. And then this psalm concludes... But search me, O God, and know my heart. Come full circle. Verse 23 and verses 23 and 24 show us the attitude we should have. Boyce wrote this. He said, it is a, verse 23 and 24, he said, it is a serious thing to pray this prayer. It is a serious thing to pray this prayer because it invites painful exposures and surgery if we truly mean it. Do we really want God to search and know our hearts and know our thoughts and to see if there's any grievous way in me? That's a serious prayer. It does invite painful exposures and surgery if we truly mean it. But it is what every wise believer should desire. Yes. God does that anyway? Yeah, but what's our attitude toward that? See, David is, David is encouraging that in his life. Do we encourage that or do we push away? Oh, I, don't wanna, I don't want God to deal with me. Because basically he's saying, deal with me, God. Deal with my thoughts. Deal with my, my uh, heart. That's what he's praying. 
that we follow him. There's a guy named Arno Gabelin who wrote, uh, he, he lived from 1861 to 1945. And he wrote this about this prayer of verse 23 and 24. He says, Happy the Christian who prays thus every day, who puts himself into the presence of the all-seeing God, who stands in his light and is willing to have anything and everything which is not right brought to light and judged. This is the true walk in the light. Even the thoughts must be dealt with. It is in the New Testament it is expressed in this wise. 2 Corinthians 10:5 where it says bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Then there is the willingness to put away anything which is grievous to God and to his spirit and to be led in the way everlasting. So it's a prayer that God deal with us, convict us of sin, change our heart, and lead us into the way everlasting. Yes? Um, this aligns very well with the conclusion of Jim's sermon this morning. This fits right up. Mm-hmm. It does. Amazing how that all works. It's his book. What's that? It's his book. It's his book. Almost as if he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like he knows what he's doing. Yes, he does. And we could spend another month on Psalm 139. Easy. We won't. But um, thank you, Fred, for taking us through the first part. We might have to bring you back for some more parts. Let's bow for prayer, shall we?